All right, I've told you for the last month, I believe this church has reached a strategic inflection point in which it's maturing. It's growing up. It's moving beyond just using faith to survive. It's beginning to use faith to take dominion and take the promises of God. We've been saying that if God has more for us on the table, we don't want to back up from it and leave anything on the table. We want everything that God has for us. So the book of Ephesians is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament book of Joshua. It's for maturing Christians who are tired of wandering around in circles and want to take possession of the promises of God. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul, who, though he was a Hebrew by birth, he was a Jew, a descendant from Abraham. Yet his ministry was primarily directed and given to the Gentiles. And you'll notice in the New Testament that while it is Jesus who births the church and produces the church, it's largely the Apostle Paul who is tasked by God to explain what we are and how we function. When Paul says that God has taken two groups and made them one in Christ, He's revealing that through Jesus, both the Jew... Now, hold a second. When I, I'm going to say Jew and Gentile a lot today. When I say Jew, I don't want you to think about race, okay? I don't want you to think about geographical location of where Israel is and all that. I don't want you to think race of people. When the Bible's talking about it, it's talking about the people who had a pre-existing covenant with God. You understand, Abraham wasn't a Jew when God called him. Okay. God made a covenant with him and his descendants, and his descendants became the Jewish nation. Okay. But it was all a result of the covenant. So when I say Jew and Gentile in this presentation, Jew means people that had a previously established covenant relationship with God, Gentile means people that didn't. They, they were without God and without hope in the world. Now, Paul says those two groups have been stitched together into one new body. In the text, it says one new humanity. It's one new body, the body of Jesus Christ, also known as the church. Now, to understand this, you must first realize that from God's perspective, I'm not talking about from our perspective, from God's perspective, he only sees two groups of people. God doesn't see in race or in class or in financial, you know, whatever rank you're in. God sees two, group, two groups of people. He sees those who have a covenant relationship with him and those who do not. Look at uh, Acts 17, 26, please. Acts 17, 26. From one man, and the old King James says, says uh, from one blood, and I, I like that translation a little better, but I'll work with this. From one man or one blood, there you go, God made all nations. Everybody say, from one blood. So God started the human race with one blood. He saw everyone the same. That was his intention. He intended for Adam and Eve to have kids, and their kids to have kids, and their kids to have kids, and a society to be, to be built all from one blood that were all viewed the same from heaven's perspective. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, the door to wickedness and depravity was open. Adam and Eve consumed something that God told them not to do. 
and they fell into sin, but they still loved God. They still desired to have a relationship with God. But we begin to see two separate tracks form once Adam and Eve have children. Everybody say two tracks. Just help me help you with your hands. Just go like this. Two tracks. When Adam and Eve have children, we see in the scripture two separate tracks forming. One son, Abel, though he was flawed by sin, still desired to know God and to follow him. The other son, Cain, was intensely wicked and had no desire at all for the things of God. And you know the story. Cain murders Abel and begins to wander the earth. And Cain uh, has children, and their children have children, and their children have children. And all the people that are exposed to Cain are just intensely wicked people. And the earth falls into a dispensation theologically known as the dispensation of self-government where wickedness prevailed and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, lawlessness. And by the time you get from Cain to Noah, listen to this, in the scripture, by the time you get from Cain to Noah, the only people in the world, in the world, that are remotely interested in following after God is just Noah and his family. So God, because of the wickedness of the earth, sends the flood, destroys the earth, preserves Noah and his family, and decides to start over. But the flood revealed that mankind cannot be disciplined back into relationship with God. We would have to be redeemed. Because post-flood, Noah himself fell into wickedness. In a few short generations from Noah, mankind is just as wicked as it was before the flood. Now, God's got a problem. He's got an earth that's exceedingly wicked. But he's made a promise to Noah that he would never destroy the earth by water again. So God begins to search through the earth to find someone that he could start over with. He's looking for a family. It was important to God that he find a family. Why? Because God prophesied to Eve right after they fell in sin in the garden that the seed of the woman would rise up and bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. In other words, he was telling Eve, I'm going to use a woman to partner with and I'm going to cause a redeemer to be born into the earth that will crush the head of the serpent. So if God's going to send a redeemer into the earth, he needs a family he can work with. He needs someone he could start with. And so God found a man named Abraham, and he started over his relationship with mankind with that one man, Abraham. Now, the only qualification that Abraham had to be God's man, the only qualification that he had for God to choose to start over with him was that Abraham had faith in God. When God spoke his word to him, Abraham believed it. So God said, Abraham, I'm going to start over with you and your seed, you and your descendants. And out of all the people in the world, I'm going to make you distinct from them. And the way I'm going to make you distinct is I'm going to give you a covenant promise. The word covenant means contract. It means an agreement. And God was saying to Abraham in the earth, I am going to be your God and your descendants, God, and you will be my people. Your descendants will be my people. 
and the circumcision of your flesh will be an outward sign of this inward covenant that we have, this inward relationship that we have. So God commanded Abraham to circumcise himself and circumcise every male that was born after him in his family. So now we begin to see a further separation. Now, all of the people in the world, out of all of the people in the earth, the only people that God's dealing with are Abraham and his descendants. They would, they, Abraham would have a son named Isaac. Isaac would have a son named Jacob. His name was changed to Israel, and then he had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became known as the 12 tribes of Israel, and when they exited Egypt, they, began, they became a nation, and they began to be known as the Jews. But it all started not because of a race or a skin color. It all started because of a covenant that God made with them. So what I want you to see so far, we started out with one blood, just one group of people, but now two tracks have formed. Now Abraham and his family, his descendants, they're moving forward with the things of God. All the other people of the earth are stuck in wickedness in the dispensation of self-rule and self-government. And then we see that separation between the tracks come even more pronounced when Moses comes along and God gives him the law, the Ten Commandments. Now God is setting up Abraham's descendants, the people he has a covenant with, to become their own nation, a theocracy, a God-ruled people. And Moses said, by your presence, God, we shall be distinguished from all the other people of the earth. So look at the distinction the Jews had. They have the promise of God. They have the covenant of God. They have the law of God. They have the presence of God. Everyone else is stuck in the dispensation of human government, stuck in their own wickedness, and are without hope and without God in the world. And they didn't know God. None of the Gentiles knew God. But they needed to worship. Because worship is an innate need of the human soul. Everybody worships something. So the Jews are on one track worshiping God, the Gentiles are on another track worshiping false idols, God they made, gods they made with their own hands. And that separation continued until the cross. And at the cross, all of the sudden, God does something radical. On the cross, God restored the disconnect between the two. So in Ephesians 2, verse 1, look at what he said. Now... Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, Paul is writing to. He says, and as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay. Unless you're a full-blooded Jew, he's talking to you. Okay. Everybody raise your, can you raise your hand and say he's talking to you? Unless you're Jewish, you can raise your, he's talking to you. Okay. That you applies to you. And you, this is before Christ. Okay. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and the children of disobedience. All of us also live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath or judgment. But because of his great love for us, Oh, hallelujah. 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. When he says, when he starts out talking in verse 1, he says, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 6, God raised us. In other words, Paul is saying that God took both groups that had been separated for centuries. God took both groups and put them in Christ and then raised them up together. The two that were separated are now reconnected, restored, redeemed, reconciled in Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I love the fact that he mentions the riches of God's grace. I'm glad that God's rich in grace. Because some of us had lives that needed him to be rich. Some of us had so much sin, so many stains, so much darkness on us that we needed him to be rich in grace. I'm glad he's rich in grace. I may be the only one. I'm glad he's rich in grace. I haven't been able to exhaust his grace yet. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've failed a lot of times. If you add it all up, let me tell you, it looks pretty bad. But every time I go to him, his grace is sufficient for the sin bill that I've racked up because he is rich in grace. Amen. Amen. So God took the Jews, those with a covenant, and the Gentiles, those who had no previous covenant with God, and put them in the same body, the body of Jesus Christ. Now go to verse 16. And in one body, look at that and read that with me. And in one body, if you'll work me just a little bit, we won't have to stay too long. In one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. That's what he did when he saved me. That's what he did when he saved you. That's what he did when he saved the people he had a previous covenant with. He took us both together and in one body reconciled us together by the cross. Verse 19, and this is where you come in. Consequently, you look at your neighbors. Hey, he's talking about you. Now, folks, you need to know this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Amen. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You understand the building that he's talking about is not made with bricks and mortar. It's made with people. Like this is our church building. Okay. You, your life is actually material in the makeup of the church that God has put together. 
So each person in here matters. This isn't like a movie theater where you come to watch the show and you leave. This isn't entertainment. This isn't just community involvement. This is something God has put you into if you have had faith in Jesus Christ. But we got to get our attenders mentality off and understand there's no other place to be in God other than a member of his body and a part of his church. There's no other place to be. If you're saved, then you are saved because God puts you in the body of Jesus Christ, the one that died for you. That's why your sins cannot be accounted to you and you cannot be judged for what you did because God took you and everything you did and put it down in the body of Jesus Christ. So there are two consequences of that. Number one, all your sin has been paid for in his body. But number two, you have become a part of his body because being a part of his body is the only place where the sins are forgiven and your soul is freed from sin and death. So you're either in, the body's the only place there is to be, you understand? God didn't save anybody without putting them in the body of Christ. And if you are in the body of Christ, you are the body. Amen. We are the church. We are many races, many cultures, many colors, many backgrounds. But what unifies us all is that we are all in the same body, the body of Christ. All believers everywhere, whether you're in Uganda, China, or San Antonio, Texas, all believers everywhere collectively form the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. So there's more that unites us. Listen. We're non-denominational, not by preference. We're non-denominational by doctrine. Because you can't find one denomination in the Bible. Denominations happened after the Reformation. Denominations happened as a result of men's disagreements about how to interpret the Scripture. Because nobody knew how to listen to a proper spiritual authority who was endowed by the power of the Holy Ghost to interpret the Scriptures in their understanding so they could stand firmly on the doctrine that they believed. So they split and everybody started doing what they thought was right. Okay? Let me tell you what you are. I was raised Baptist. No, you're in the body of Christ. I was raised Methodist. Nope, you're in the body of Christ. I was raised Pentecostal. You know, we know the right way. Nope, you're in the body of Christ. I was raised, you know, there's all kind of them. If you're a real believer, which means if you believe that Jesus lived perfectly, died bodily, was buried on the third day, was raised to life by the power of the Father, if you have faith in what the gospel says concerning Jesus, and you have that faith in your heart, and you confess it out of your mouth, then the Bible says not only are you forgiven, but you have become a living member of the body of Christ. That's the only place there is to be.
Let God be truth and every man a liar. The body of Christ is the only place there is to be. And if you hate Baptists because you got a Pentecostal background, you're going to be shocked when you get to heaven and you're with a bunch of Baptists because the Baptist and the Pentecostal and the Methodist and we're all in the same body. If you don't like white people, you're going to hate heaven because there are all kind of white people that are in the body. If you don't like black people or brown people, you're going to hate heaven because there's all colors and races in the body. If you don't like poor people, you're going to hate heaven. If you don't like rich people, you're going to hate heaven because there's all kinds in the body. So in Genesis 37, 3 and 4, the Old Testament gives us a shadow, just a picture of what this will be like in the future. It says that uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other kids because he had Joseph when he was in his old age. And the older you get, you know, the more patient you get, you're not as hard on the kids and you can love them more. When I was my little boy's age, I was terrified of my father. You know, you ought to see my father with my little boys. They can do no wrong. I mean, standing on top of the dining room table, throwing the chairs to each other, playing catch with the crystal goblets, you know, and he thinks it's hilarious. You know, because you change. So Jacob has Joseph older in his age, later in his life, and as a result, you know, he loves him more. So the sign, watch me, of Jacob's love, because love needs a sign, okay? If you love somebody, the love is desperate to be shown. It's desperate to be expressed. I mean, don't tell me you love anybody that you won't give nothing to. Valentine's Day is coming up, fellas. Don't tell me you love anybody you won't give something to. I mean, if you don't have any money, love will, will give you a cookie. You know, if you can't buy a cookie, love will steal you a cookie and give it to you. If it's love. You know, love will draw you a picture of a ring until it can afford, you know. Love will do something. And so Jacob desires to express his deep love for his favorite son, so the father, the patriarch of the family, sits down with a ball of yarn and a needle. And he starts making a coat by hand. A coat of many colors. Now, what made this coat difficult to produce is it wasn't one fabric, one garment that was dyed different colors. No, 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 no. It was many separate fabrics of many different colors that he took the painstaking time to sit down and the father stitched them all together by hand. A coat of many colors. Now the boys hated Joseph not over the coat. They hated Joseph over the time daddy put into that coat. When they saw the coat of many colors, they begin to rage in hatred and they begin to fight over the coat.
Bible says when they got Joseph alone, they stripped off his coat of many colors and they threw him in a pit because the enemy always hates and fights the coat of many colors. He hates the fact that many separate different fabrics have been stitched together into one unified garment. He hates the fact that people from all backgrounds have been stitched together by the Father on high, by one unified Jesus Christ. He hates the fact that there's that much diversity and that much unity in the same room. Somebody called me and said, the devil's been fighting me. I said, I guess he is. Look at the church you go to. It's a church of the young and the old. It's a church of all races, all backgrounds, all demographics. It's a multi-generational, multicultural church and the devil hates when people that are so different come so unified. So they took his coat off of him. They threw him in a pit and then they made up a story. They said, we're going to go get us a goat, kill the goat and we're going to take that coat of many colors and we're going to dip it in the blood and we're going to go back and tell daddy that an animal ate up Joseph and we're going to leave him here. Now, this simple story is a shadow and type, if you will, of the church of Jesus Christ. We are many different fabrics, many different colors, many different ages, many different backgrounds, many different cultures, many different expressions. But we have been stitched together by a divine architect that saw to join us fitly together in the body of Christ. And the enemy hates us and is fighting against us because of what we are. But the enemy messed up. When he took that coat of many different fabrics sewn together and dipped it in blood. Because once they dipped that coat in blood, you couldn't see the different colors. You couldn't see the lines where the stitching was made. All you could see is the blood. And I want you to know, no matter how different you are from anybody else, what God has done is he has taken the church and he has dipped us down into the blood of Jesus from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. So when God looks at us, he does not see us differently. When God looks at a righteous person who's been moral and an unrighteous drug addict, alcoholic, prostitute, he sees them the same way because they've both been dipped. Oh, hallelujah. I said, oh, they've both been dipped. Glory to Jesus. I said, they've both been dipped. In Revelation, the revelator saw a great army coming toward heaven and he cried out and he said, these are they who have dipped their garments in the blood of the lamb. And though your sin was dark and filthy, we've all been made white as snow, clean in Jesus because they dipped the garment in the blood. So ladies and gentlemen, that's what you are. We have all been, regardless of our differences, 
Before we argue about our differences, we ought to hug and celebrate our unity. Because before we are anything else, we are believers in the same body. Hallelujah to God. Before we argue about a politics, can we agree over what we believe about Jesus? Before we argue about financial policies, can we agree over what we believe about Jesus? First Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. I want to underscore to you, this is the only place there is to be theologically in the scripture. First Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, speaking about a human body, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit. Baptism there, he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about spiritual baptism. Baptism, what's it mean? To be submerged into. At the moment you had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took your human spirit and submerged you, baptized you, plunged you down into the body of Christ. When you rose from that baptism spiritually, you rose to walk in the newness of life because now you are a part of a new body. You're a part of the body of Christ, the church in the earth. So there's no such thing as a believer that's not a part of a church. Oh, sit there at me. I got something for you then. Okay. Okay. I love the Lord and I worship in my living room. You don't know your Bible. I don't have to come to church. You don't know your Bible. How are you not going to come to church when you are the church? Now, remember in Ephesians, when he said what that church was built upon? Apostles and prophets. So unless you're an apostle or a prophet doing your own thing, conducting your own church, you don't have license to sit at home and say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like going to church. You're foolish. You're confused in your mind. You don't know your Bible because you don't have an apostle and a prophet in your life to tell you what the word says and get you back in line. Amen. For we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Help me be nice, Jesus. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. That's what I just said about people who choose to stay home. You can say, because I don't like going to church, I'm not a part of the Bible. But no, there's only one. If you believe in Jesus, there's only one classification. 
you have become, willingly or unwillingly, you, you have become your identity. You have become a part or a member in the global body of Jesus Christ. It's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to be redeemed. So, so that's what you are. Now, whether you're participating or not has to do with your level of revelation, your level of understanding, and your maturity. But just because the foot says I'm not a part of the body because it's got an attitude and it's being real footy right now and it's all about itself right now and it don't feel, it don't feel like being around fake church people right now. So I'm just going to stay in my living room with me and the Lord and we're going to do our thing. It's therefore, just because it says it, it's not, not a part of the body. Now I'm going to give you Bible and you can fight with it all you want. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, or because I don't have the same function in the church that all of my friends do. Or because I don't fit in with that group of people. This isn't high school, folks. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a popularity contest. It's not about you being the most liked or the most likely to receive or receiving a reward. There's no prom king, no prom queen. This is the church of Jesus Christ. If the ears should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Now he celebrates the diversity. If the verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, right now I'm just flooded with analogies and I can't use any of them. Woof. Thank you, Jesus. Being a guard at my mouth. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts. That's what you are. Each one of you, individually, everyone in this room. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, in reality, there are many parts. One body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Amen. We're all part of the body. But individually, we form the parts. Now, every part of my body has an individual purpose and a common purpose. Okay. My eye has an individual and distinct purpose from my hand. They're very different parts. But then they have a common purpose when I'm eating. I need my eye and my hand to work together for the common purpose of filling my body with calories so I can have energy to sustain my vital organs and to sustain my life. 
So individual purpose and common purpose works together. So what I want you to understand, if you believe in Jesus and you enjoy coming to this church, but you haven't really connected and you haven't really gotten involved, I want you to understand there's an intended place for you in the body of Christ that God wants you to be filling, that God wants you to be operating in. When you're not operating in that place, it's like having a body part that's paralyzed and won't function. Okay? Now, um, let me give you individual purpose, common purpose. Individual purpose is your unique purpose. Nobody else has this. This is your unique purpose in the body. And your um, individual unique gift is how you manifest that purpose. So, um, for instance, many are attending this morning. You've come several times, but you're not serving and you're not using your gift your gifts are for function. So, you know, we have many different areas in the church that there's an opportunity to serve and use your gift and exercise your gift. We have, you know, about 80 to 100 children over there right now that need teachers to teach them. Boy, that went over big. But what it takes is somebody in this room understanding what they are, that they are a member, a part of the body of Christ, that God gave you your gifts in order to function and then be willing to give God back the gift he gave to you by serving as a member of his body. Amen. Now, you're, you're, either, you're either called towards a specific department of ministry or you're not, and if you're not called to it, don't do it. But people that are gifted to sing, if you can sing, big fat if, if you can sing, we can, we can use you on the praise team. If you can play an instrument, we can use you here. But if not, we can use you at the door as a greeter. You know how many people go through their week and nobody smiles at them? Smiling and being good with people you've never seen before is a gift. Not everybody's good at it. It's a gift. God gave some of you that gift, and you're not using it. Some of you, you make, you make people you don't know feel comfortable. Usually people that are great at sales have that gift. They just, when they're around people they never met before, when people get around them, they feel comfortable. That is a gift from God. Some, some of you have gifts technically, and your gifts could be used uh, technical departments. Some of you have, have gifts for, for order and for uh, producing things. You could be used with Pastor Noel's team. There's all kinds of places. Many of you have been using your gift, and I'm very honored that you have. You've been helping Pastor Jeff and CW Reach give out food to this entire community. My point is, there are individual gifts that are meant by Jesus to be used in his body so it can function. Okay. This church would be able to do a lot more as a body if more of our parts were working. Jesus identified this. He comes up to a man, a, a, a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham, and everything else is working on the man except his hand is withered. His arm is, is fused and paralyzed and stuck to his side. And everything is there. He's alive. It's not that he's dead. 
It's not that he's dead spiritually. It's not that some of you are dead spiritually. You are alive and you are in Christ. It's just that you're not moving the part God gave you to play in his church. Your arm is fused to your side. It's there, but it ain't doing nothing. Just like you sitting in that pew looking at me. You're here, but you ain't doing nothing in this ministry. And Jesus walks up to him. And what does Jesus say? Stretch forth your hand. In other words, I want to heal the part of you that I designed to function that is not functioning. And I want to tell some of you, your purpose is tied up in you serving the house of the Lord. God wants to heal the part of you that has stayed back, that hasn't connected, that hasn't committed. He wants to heal that part of you so that you can begin giving your gifts back to him. People will take your gifts and not appreciate you. People will take advantage of your gifts. People will use you and abuse you and cast you aside. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you give to God what you've so freely given to so many other people? If you give your gift to God, he will bless you. He will protect you. He will raise you up. He will promote you. He'll open doors for you. Why wouldn't you give it to God? So individual purpose has to do with our unique gifts. But then every one of us has common purpose. Common purpose is something every believer has in common. Everybody say common purpose. purpose. Number one. Ooh, y'all going to hate this next part. Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Common purpose. Number one. Church attendance. Sometimes I don't know when I do stuff like this. Sometimes I don't know what you want. Sometimes I don't know what this is. You either want to be taught what does the word really say or you don't. Okay. Now, if you, in the scripture, in the prophets, he told the people they were complaining about the word of God saying there were parts of it that were sweet and there were parts of it that were bitter. And he tells them, eat the whole roll. Part of it, bitter. Part of it, sweet. But if you want to be healthy, you got to eat the whole roll. And if you never hear anything in church that confronts you or that contradicts your lifestyle, you ain't in a church. You're in a social club. Hebrews 10, 25, there is a New Testament commandment for believers, people that are in the body of Christ, not to forsake the assembling of themselves together. It's a commandment. On the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, you ought to find your hips in a church pew. I saw somebody I hadn't seen in a while. I said, I've been missing you at church. They said, oh, I've been watching online. Online, listen to me. All my members that stayed home this morning, listen to me. This is not what that's for. Online is for people who are traveling and are out of the city and can't physically get here. For people who are sick and don't want to risk getting others sick by coming and sitting six inches from them in a pew. Or for the people that were here on Sunday morning 
to have an opportunity to go back all week and watch the message and get all the points and get all the notes and fuel their spirit with what God spoke on Sunday. Online is not for you to sit your lazy rear end at home on a Sunday morning and sit out of the house of God. Online is not for you to scratch some emotional spiritual itch and say, I watched online when you didn't get up and make the sacrifice to drive to the house of God. Now, at some point, you're going to want God to do something for you. you got to be faithful to the house of God. you got to be faithful to the Lord's day. you got to make the sacrifice to be in church. you got to do the right thing. What is wrong with us? We lost our mind? God is watching. Church attendance is a common purpose for every believer. Now, I know some of you have jobs and you cannot get off on certain Sundays. I get that. I'm not judging you, okay? If you have a job and you can't get off, you still got to feed your family. I get it. I'm with you 100%. There's two things you can do. Number one, you can pray that God will open up a door for you inside of your employment situation that will allow you to be in service. Then number two, you can plant a seed on that prayer. And watch God, if he don't give your boss a dream, come to you and say, I don't know what's going on, but I gotta let you off on Sundays. Something's got a hold with me. God will move on the hearts of people. If you have a genuine desire to be in his house and you will humble yourself and pray, God will move a company just to get you in here on Sundays. Amen. Amen. Church attendance. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. It's a commandment that the Lord and Savior who died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and purge you from all unrighteousness and secure your eternity. Like me or not, stare at me blank if not. It is a commandment from God for you to be in church. And if it's not this church, find you another church. Be in church somewhere though. It's not about me. It's not about this location. Serve the Lord in his church. If you don't live here, go to church every Sunday where you do live. It's important that you are in church. Nobody will thank me for this, so I'm going to pat myself on the back. Good preaching, Jason. Beat the hell off people. Yank people out of the fire. Church attendance. Amen. Number two. Praise and worship. I'm not going to get through all this. As a believer in the body of Christ, your posture in praise and worship shouldn't be. We are called and commanded to praise our God. It's not like if you like the song. If you're a person that only sings to God when you like the song, then that song's not for him. It's Psalm 34. I thought the praise team would have been behind me on that one. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord 
at all times. His praise will always be. Ooh, hallelujah. 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 In other words, in other words, some of the reason y'all don't sing when you come to church and we're doing praise and worship because y'all don't sing anytime. To him, you sing that other mess on the radio, but you don't sing out loud to him. If you're a real believer filled with the Spirit of God, though, something will come on you every now and then where the only thing you can do is open your mouth and sing to him. It's part of the anointing. It's part of the Spirit. It's part of the flow we have with God. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Two things. He said, first, the first stage of it is, let the afflicted hear my praise and rejoice. That's how it all starts when we first start coming to church. Because we start coming to church and we're afflicted. We're afflicted in our soul. We're hurting. Stuff's broken in our lives. But there's something about an anointed song. When you're afflicted and you hear people praising God, it just encourages you to rejoice. Now, you're rejoicing because of what you feel, the encouragement you feel. You're not doing what they're doing. You hadn't gotten there yet. You're rejoicing because you feel something when you hear people really praise. But then the next step is David invites everyone into it in verse 3. He says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. If we're going to clap, we ought to clap together. If we're going to shout, we ought to shout together. If we're going to dance, we ought to dance together. And if we're going to have praise and worship, we ought to have praise and worship. Listen, I don't care if you can sing or not. This is the only time where if you have a terrible voice, your voice is still welcome and wanted. We want your voice in the room. Stay in your pew. Don't come up on the stage. But we want your voice in the room. It's time to glorify and magnify and sing to God. So, learn the songs. Okay? You hear a song that we do, search it, learn it all week. And when you come in here, sit in your own personal pew and be that pew's praise and worship leader. Sing as loud as you can, like Lionel does. Take a model from Lionel. Sing as loud as Lionel does. Let the whole congregation sing just like Lionel. As loud as you can. God gets joy in that. Church attendance. Rearranging your life to where you can be consistent in, in your attendance to the house of the Lord. God sees that as worship. When you schedule stuff, and it's hard to do it, but you schedule stuff around and you make it happen, and, and even if you only got two or three hours sleep, you come to the house of the Lord. Church attendance. Number two, praise and worship. Number three, tithing and offerings. Listen, that's a common purpose it's a common purpose God he he designed the church to be a body everybody say a body. a body 
Now, in order for a body to function, it needs energy. In order to have energy, it needs food. Right? So in Malachi 3 and 10, God said, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Notice what he said. That there may be food in my house. Notice what he calls the tithe. That there may be food. In some translations, it says that there may be meat. Yeah, look at that. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be what? Food. What does my tithe have to do with food? Because your tithe is the food to the body of Christ. So when you don't bring your tithe, you're contributing to starving the body you're a part of. I'm going to say that over here. When you don't bring your tithe, you are contributing to helping to starve the body you're a part of. Let me show you how this works. On average, you know, uh, nutritionists say the average person uh, works off of like a 2,000 calorie a day diet. Okay? Now, what happens is if you're eating 2,000 calories a day and 2,000 calories a day is maintaining your weight, if you eat more than 2,000 calories a day, you will start to gain weight. If you eat less than 2,000 calories a day, you lose it. Now, the reason you'll lose it is when you take in as a body fewer calories than you require, your body literally starts to eat itself. It starts searching for fat. It'll even break down muscle tissue. It'll start taking fluid that you desperately need from everywhere else and storing it in other places. Your body literally starts eating itself. And that's why you lost weight. You lost 10 pounds because your body ate itself down to 10 pounds lighter. You lost 30 pounds. It's because you starved your body of calories so many consecutive days that it had to eat up your stores. Now, for those of us like me trying to lose weight, that's a good thing. To the body of Christ, that's a terrible thing for the body to have to eat itself. Because the members in it won't be obedient to God and feed it. Now, let's talk about the curse. You know, preachers love to harp on this. You don't tithe, you're cursed. I heard one preacher say, if you don't tithe, you're going straight to hell. That's terrible theology. The Bible doesn't say that. That's stupid. God is a blesser. He's not, a cur He's not up there throwing hexes on people. You didn't tithe? Hex. You know? No. No, 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 no. The curse there is not God sending lightning bolts of curses down. The curse there is when you don't tithe, you disqualify yourself of the blessing tied to it. So, where the tither has God's involvement, God's protection on their resources, God ideas for what to move into next, God favor that causes people to promote you, the curse is, if you're not tithing, you don't. So the curse on the non-tither is a passive curse, not an active one. Okay? And here's the passivity of the curse. God's saying, 
I'll do for you what you do to my body. If you feed my body what I told you to give, 10% of your weekly income. If you feed my body with the tithe, I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing you don't have the room to receive. I'll make you a delightful land. I'll give you favor. I'll make your reputation great. I don't care what haters try to stick on you. It will not work. I'll do all that for you because you fed my body. But if you starve my body, I will starve your finances of my presence. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the anointing. If you starve my body, I will starve your life of the favor of the Lord that causes promotion and rapid acceleration. If you starve me, I'll be, you'll be starved of my presence in that area. Still going to heaven. Amen. Still going to heaven. You're going to heaven not because of what you do. You're going to heaven because you believe in what Jesus did. This ain't about heaven. And this ain't about God like throwing curses down. No, it's about God's withdrawal of his blessing over your financial life. That's what it's about. So, church attendance. Okay? Church attendance. Amen. Because you're a, you're a part of something. And when you're, when you're missing, we're not whole. Now, you may not believe that. I mean that with every fiber of my being. When one of you is not here, something's missing in the room. Now, I know there's going to be travel. I know there's going to be things that come up. I get it. I'm saying you ought to never just stay home. If you have the ability to come, and if you're working, I get it. I'm saying if you have the ability to be here, even if it's a sacrifice, be in your spot because you're a part of the body. Praise and worship. Next time we get up to praise and worship, there ought to be a roar in this place coming from the believers. We ought to not be able to hear ourselves up here because the crowd's out singing us. Even with the sound system, the crowd's outpowering. And then tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. So many people are inconsistent in their tithing. They give for a couple of weeks, they stop. Give for a couple of weeks, they stop. It is about a discipline and a consistency. Every time you don't tithe, you prove you don't trust God in that area. I'm going to say it again. Every time you don't tithe, you prove you're either disobedient or you don't trust God in that area. When you say, I can't afford to tithe, what you're saying is, I don't trust God to meet my needs in that area. You say, I'm not willing to make the sacrifice to stand in faith and believe that God will come through for me. I'm telling you, why am I preaching to you like this? Why am I talking to you like this? Why have I had the tone I've had today? I spend 99% of my sermons and my message time encouraging you and building you up. But encouraging you and building you up into what if you never mature to begin to take the things of God seriously and begin to actively take dominion and begin to go out into the world and make your mark on this world for Christ. I'm sick of just patting people on the back and seeing them walk in circles. I want us to do something in this city for the kingdom of God that they have to talk about all over the world and will only do it if some of us grow up. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise. Listen, you're a, you're a part of something that nobody can put you out of. 
Faith in Jesus is so powerful that God included you in his body and intended for you to be a functioning part. This is what I want you to do. If you're not connected to a department, if you're not connected to a, a way to serve the Lord here, what, what I said earlier about, about serving the Lord, I, I fear that that is prophetic. I fear that there's some people that have started to withhold on serving the Lord. You used to serve and, and now you're withholding because of other things in your life. And I want to tell you prophetically as a voice in this house, as a father in this house, I want to tell you that's very dangerous. I have seen more people start from nothing, come up, 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 up from serving the Lord and then get too busy and too important to serve him. And I've seen the carpet jerked out from them. And it's not God being vindictive. See, God's principles are passive principles meaning God puts them in place, you can climb up them if you want, okay? So when you start serving and you start putting your hand to the plow in the kingdom of God and saying, God, where can you use me? Where can I serve? And you start doing that, no matter how insignificant it may seem to you. I mean, you start sweeping the floor, cleaning toilets. I mean, God gets so much glory and pleasure out of that, right? So, so when you start serving, you start walking up the staircase of those principles of God. And it can take you higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. But the second you step off the staircase, you've stepped off of the thing that elevated you and took you higher. I want to warn you from my heart with a shepherd's heart. I know you may be tired. I know your time may be wearing thin. I know it may be difficult to serve the Lord. But if you stop, you're going to lose something that you don't want to lose. You're going to lose something you can't afford to lose. Church attendance. Okay? Praise and worship. Tithes and offerings. Common purpose. Individual purpose. Serving the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Okay? They that wait on the Lord will renew, renew their strength. I pray something I have said today has spoken to your spirit. And listen, if you want to join up with us, if you want to connect to us, and you've never been to our new members class, our new members class is the first step. We have our Sea Life classes coming up March 1st, March 8th. They're going to be on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock next door in our youth sanctuary. I want you to take out your phone and text your full name and your email address to 210 5706643 if you've never attended this class it's the first step to serving and getting plugged in you're a member of this body right i mean you're coming regularly do you consider yourself a part of this body if you're not you got to find a body that you can be a part of if you don't live in san antonio and you're visiting this morning i'm not saying move to san antonio i'm saying go find a church you can be a part of and get connected get linked in it's it's one of the purposes that jesus christ mandated in the new testament for believers get linked in but if you're here with us and you want to make a commitment you want to become accountable you want to get in a department and you want to start serving the lord and moving forward and maturing with your christianity and begin to take dominion i want you to sign up for sea life 210 you can text it now it's not disrespectful 
570-670-6643. One more time, your name, your full name, and your email to 210-570-6643. And we will get you signed up for the class. It's a two-week class. On the third week, we take you out to dinner with all of our elders and teams. And, and you, by the end of that, you will be connected. We will know you and you will know us. And I want to encourage you to do it. It will be a blessing to you. Lift up your hands. May the Lord your God bless you. May the Lord your God keep you. May the Lord your God lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you go from this place and find in front of you every crooked way made straight. May you be blessed because of what you are. You are a part of the body of Jesus Christ in the earth. May favor come upon you. May strength overtake you. And may the Lord your God be an adversary to your adversaries. May he bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. In Jesus' name I bless you today. Amen.